Yeah, thank you for tuning in. It's more than a podcast. Inexhaustible episodes, God's vast. Glorify Him as we broadcast the Lord's grace and God's wrath. More serious than a bomb blast. Full disclosure inside the title. No surprises, simply put, guys with Bibles. Yeah. Just some regular reborn reformed cats If it's in the Bible then they're gonna speak on that Cause the scripture is the final word okay. Competing ideas quite absurd Of this you can be quite assured <laughs> yeah. We were lost in the darkness of night immersed in sin But then the, the light, light emerged. emerged It was the Son of God, divine Christ that shines light The word in Genesis that assigned life in hindsight And was revealed through the prophets and apostles We magnify and expound on the power of the gospel Yeah, yeah Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Guys with Bibles. I'm Lee. And I'm Sean. And we're back again with some hot off the press together for the gospel content. We're bringing a heavy hitter tonight. Ligon Duncan! Yeah. You know, the first thing I noticed about this is he has like the greatest voice I've ever heard in my life. He's got got a great voice. Just a great, great speaking voice. voice. Yeah, it has that slight southern drawl to it. I like it. And he doesn't have to do the fake like cadence thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Very compelling. I wish in a good dude. Apparently, I wish like my my redneck accent was more like a southern drawl because it's classy. But it's but mine's not. I, yeah, I'm coveting. I wish I had a just an all around more interesting American accent. <laughs> <laughs> like I just have the vanilla Midwestern American accent. You do. I do too. I feel like. Yeah, you really do. Because if you don't if you don't sound like me, then the people who don't sound like me. It sound like you, <laughs> unless you go north. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's weird. That's Ohio is really weird because, like, if you go up towards like Lake Erie and like Cleveland or Toledo, they talk different mm-hmm. than they do in the middle of the state. And then if you go down to yeah. like Cincinnati or like towards West Virginia, it's Kentucky, they talk different than they do any other part of this. It's weird. We're a, we're a melting pot of a state. We are. We're the crossroads of America. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Not yeah. Not really. We're it's the heart of the heart of it all. That's we're, that's Ohio. We're we're the yeah. We're in the heart of flyover country. Yeah. <laughs> Not much here, unless you want to go to Cincinnati or Columbus or Cleveland. Other than that, and why wouldn't you want to go to Cincinnati? Come on, Cincinnati's great, actually. Great. It's a great city. Get some chili. Watch the Reds. Cincinnati chili. <laughs> yeah, if you've never yeah. had Skyline chili, oh my what's gosh. wrong with you? First of all, you are missing out. Get that classic. Could, uh, we could do a whole podcast about Cincinnati chili. Yeah, get the classic three-way with the spaghetti, the yep. chili, and the cheese. Can't go wrong. You will thank us. You can't beat it with. I a like stick. to get a. 
I like to get a regular three-way and at least one cheese coney with everything. Yes. When I was in Man, when I was in college, like I would like they'd see me coming toward the cafeteria and they had Skyline Chili because I went to college in Dayton. And uh they had Skyline Chili and they had the little conies and they would see me coming and they'd get three conies ready. Like before I even got up there, they knew what I wanted. Three conies is like a perfect meal. Yeah. But it always left me wanting more. Yep. Always. Keeps you coming back. Yeah. Delightful. Gee, you know what else was delightful? This sermon by Ligon Duncan. (laughs) 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 That was a great great segue. Great. Ah. I, I am the master of segways. Yeah, it was it was a it was a very good sermon. I enjoyed every last bit of it. It took it took some interesting turns, and he touched on one a little little bit of an edgy subject, which I'm I'm eager to talk about. And it's going to be interesting because so this sermon is directed at pastors. Yeah, and we all know together for the conference is a pastors conference. But there are still a lot of laymen like you and me who uh, can still go there and benefit from uh, the sessions and uh, the camaraderie and all that kind of stuff. And so I think even as a layman, someone who does not preach week in and week out, I, I still was able to take something like this to help make me not only a better hearer of a sermon, but if I were to ever preach a sermon, there, there were things helpful things here that I would keep in mind if I had that opportunity. Right, yeah. Yeah, totally. It it kind of helps you appreciate your pastor and your elders more and with what they do than uh, a lot of people, I feel, don't appreciate their pastor the way they should, and uh, they kind of take them for granted at what they do and think they have an easy job, you know, write one sermon a week and get up there on Sunday and preach. And it's a, it's not like that. It's an everyday, everyday job, seven days a week, 24 seven. You are, you are the shepherd of that flock at that church. And it, it is a, a lot of pastors struggle with depression and uh, other, other issues because of it. And it's, it's a, it's incredibly hard. That's why not everybody's called to it. Yep, it's an incredibly hard and, and thankless job. Absolutely. And he talked about that at one point. You know, he's saying, you know, you're a servant. Yeah. You're a servant of Christ and you're a servant to your congregation. You shouldn't be surprised when you get treated like a servant. Yeah, because it's going to happen. <clears throat> yeah. Because people are good at taking other people for granted, especially if it's people that they get some benefit from. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And so uh, that's a sad thing that uh, that shouldn't happen, but it's good it's good for pastors to remind each other that that that's going to happen. So uh, I, I enjoyed right at the beginning, you know, with his introductory remarks. Obviously, the whole elephant in the room at that point was the fact that we're together for the gospel, but nobody's together. Yeah, you know, physically together at the at the at the Yum Center in Louisville. Um, but uh, he was talking a little bit about, you know, the designation of essential, you know, essential workers yeah. and 
um, essential industries that were kept running during the, the quarantine and uh, who were shut down and who kept going. And thinking about this as what is essential, I think was a very timely um, aspect of, of his sermon here. I, I wrote it down. What is essential? In most places, churches uh, were deemed essential. That's something to think about. What is our essential business? And I think for a lot of churches, uh, I think they had to struggle with that a little bit because obviously since the churches that didn't meet had, they were involuntarily, I'm sorry, they were voluntarily um, suspending in-person meetings. Yeah. Um, but doing that really does make you reconsider what the essentials are. And if your church's essentials are uh, a loud praise band and a cafe and a bookstore and all these things, things that, that can't be communicated any other way other than being there, then something's, something's wrong. Like if the performance is more important than the message, which uh, those of us who are, who are critical of the mega church seeker sensitive model, if the spectacle is the whole purpose, then this this lockdown was the perfect opportunity that God had given these churches to really reconsider what is essential. And I think Ligon did a really good job at laying out what is essential, especially in a sermon, let alone yeah. in a church service. Yeah, that and I appreciated that. That whole like I'm gonna go back to when you're talking about making the worship service like a spectacle to at, almost like entertainment, or it is entertainment, they make it so that the congregation can enjoy it and relate to it. And uh, all they're doing is they're making the worship service like the world. And that's not, it's supposed to, that's exactly what it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be a time set apart to, uh, for the saints to gather and worship God by holding up his word and praying and singing and uh, and observing the ordinances and when you got like people flying like on like cables above the stage and you got a loud it's like a rock concert in Starbucks like had a love child and and that's that's what it is it's weird like i i don't know um that always irks me and it bothers me that people think that you have to have church, you have to have like some sort of entertainment in church, or even, and I'm not going to say that children's church is bad. Um, if if your church do, right, has a children's, bad. if your church does children's church and they do it well, it, it's okay. But there's also something where I feel like the kids need to be in the worship service with their parents as a family gathered with all the mm -hmm. other families in the congregation it, there's something special about that and i never i never experienced children's church as a kid because you know i sat in mass with with everybody else you know all the kids are always in there there's no children's church in a catholic church right cuz you still have to get the infusion of grace as a kid whether you're a kid or an adult right right so it's just so if you're if you're a bat if you're baptized then you've got to be you've got to be in there and and taking the Eucharist right and doing all these things. Yeah, not till you get your grace. Not till you're eight. 
Not to your eight. Okay, there you go. Usually around about second grade. Right. It's not like you have to be confirmed and then, oh, then you can. So. Yeah. And you know, there's the buzzword around the, the whole family integrated service. That's kind of the, the lingo yeah. about it. And you know, uh, uh, Vody Bauckham had a great talk. Vody Had a great talk about that. Uh, when has he not had a great talk? I know that honestly. dude's a genius. He's a he's a, <sighs> one of the most gifted uh, preachers that I've ever listened to. To be honest, mm-hmm. great dude, yeah. great beard too. Oh yeah, great beard. Just a <sighs> hint of gray to add, like some wisdom. Hint of gray. So. He early on he laid out uh, Ligon laid out an outline. He he focused on Ephesians four verses one to sixteen, but especially he zeroed in on verses eleven to thirteen, and that's what most of the sermon was about. But he, for context's sake, he read verses one to sixteen from chapter four of Ephesians, and he broke it down mm-hmm. in an outline. Uh, for those 16 verses. I was just going to go through that outline real quick. Yeah, definitely. So verses 1 to 3, uh, Paul argues that Christians are to walk in a manner of our calling. Verses 4 to 6, the uh, he Paul uses a Trinitarian argument for verses 1 to 3 to support it. Uh, verses 7 to 10, the ascended Christ uh, has given gifts to experience unity in the church, basically. And also, Psalm 68 relates quite well to verses 7 to 10. And then the main focus of his sermon was verses 11 to 13, where uh, in those verses, the unity of the body... Uh, the, the gifts are to the end of unity. For the unity of the body are the gifts, and that is the end. And the gifts right. are people. Uh, and then which is which is one of the edgy factors in this because that's what I think the majority of the way a lot of people talk about this text, they're not talking about the gifts as, the people, yeah, right. Specifically, the pastors, the pastor teachers, and that's why he also read verses one to sixteen instead of just focusing and reading eleven to thirteen, because you can pull whatever you want out of that if you don't read it in context. It, you gotta have the context. You gotta. It's. It's like come on. It's like people. a peanut butter sandwich with no jelly. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. You can have it, but it's just not right. Or having a jelly sandwich with no peanut butter. Yeah. Get out of town. No one does that. No. I Before before we go too far, not that long after he gave the outline, there was a little, um, there was a little Holy Ghost action going on. <laughs> Did you see the, uh, the camera shake a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, he's feeling it. Like, man, the Holy Ghost is already breaking out. Now. I was ready for, like, a fiery tongue to come down on him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I love that. 
you know, uh, on, you know, being on because like doing the editing stuff for the for the podcast and and then doing the sound guy stuff at church too. And uh, I do, I enjoy seeing like when the behind the scenes stuff has an effect on the finished product. Uh, I I always get a big kick out of that. Yep. Not a, not as a criticism, but just yeah. I just I just get a kick out of that. Yeah. It, I mean, it didn't mess anything up. It was just funny. Oh no! Because like I'm picturing like just, somebody walking past the camera and they like kick the tripod uh, or something, uh, and they yeah. like trip and fall, and the camera's shaking, and I, I was like, cracking up. Or Ligon has like placed a uh, a banana peel on the floor or something, and they've <laughs> it's like Mario Kart. And- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hit him with the red shell. <laughs> All the blue shell with the wings. That's what you want. I, I hate the blue shell. I hate it so much. So, so like you said, he focused specifically on verses 11 through 13 for the majority of the message. And so he was talking about who are the gifts in verse 11, what do the gifts do in verse 12, and what's the goal of the gifts, which is in verse 13. And I, I wrote down this quote, God has given godly men as gifts to the churches as pastors and teachers. He gave them to prepare and equip the church for the work of ministry. So each and every one of us attains to unity and maturity and conformity to Christ that he intends. He with a capital H, of course, meaning God. Um, And I think that was edgy point number one that, you know, I think goes against a little bit of conventional wisdom out there uh, saying that the gifts would be, I mean, some people have attributed this passage to like, charismatic gifts and yeah. and things like that uh and really and i think obviously i think ligan's right on this point that uh the gifts are the pastor teachers that god has given the congregations yeah yeah so can i read since we're talking about verse 11 let me read verse 11 for us i'll i'll allow it okay do you want me to read verse do you want me to read the whole do, do the do the whole do the whole thing, like the whole sixteen verses. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, one through sixteen. All right, let's do that, and then we'll reread verse eleven. This is guys with Bibles. Come on. Yeah, and I'm reading from my beautiful premium Faithful CSB verse by verse. Boy, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> okay. So starting in Ephesians four verse one. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive, he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ, until all reach unity in the faith in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the tech techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. For him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. This here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. So, Amen. <laughs> I always chanted Amen at the end. <laughs> but, do it, so, do it right now. No, I can't. I can't do it on the spot. <laughs> anyway, verse 11, we'll jump back. So we're talking about verse 11, and, it's, and then that is, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. And that's what the CSB says. I'm not sure if... Are you using yeah, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers? Okay, so that's ba- Nasby. Okay, course. so the same naturally, thing, basically. So right. faithful right. and true as always, CSB. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, it said it said people instead of men. Yeah, yeah, but uh, <laughs> you want to you want to talk about that? Actually, br- it's not that it's not that big a deal. I just I just like to poke. Yeah. When it's contextual, it just depends on what the word right, was. Right, the because if the, if the Greek goes like, like it, Delphoi it, is really gender non-specific. For yeah, instance, if the, if the Greek goes where it's gender non-specific, where they're not actually talking about just men or just women, then it'll say people or brothers and sisters. It'll it'll mention both or just say people, just because in the actual Greek. It was not gender specific. It's not a like woke thing, like people think. Right, the gender neutral thing. No, it's just a contextual thing, keeping like, the context where the original languages have a certain yeah. have a certain way of phrasing. And we're yeah, just fine. we're just old. We're just used to the you know, <laughs> starting with the King James, how it right. But whatever. Nasbo. Um, CSBO. So, right, sure, okay, fine. Whatever. Agree <laughs> to disagree. Which is a phrase, by the way, that came from John Wesley. Do you know that? Agree to disagree. Yeah, he would yep. say that. It was first. It was first found in one of his letters, I think, actually to George Whitfield. And you know what? I have mad respect for John Wesley, and I've read some of his stuff. Dude oh, was super smart. What a sweet man. So smart. Very godly dude. He his yep. theology was obviously a little wonky for me, but very godly man. Yeah. So uh so on verse eleven, you know, and he didn't he didn't go too far into this, but it, i think it was interesting. Yeah, you know, so he said, you know, Jesus doesn't give gifts that we don't need. And you know, obviously he's focusing on the fact of the pastors and teachers, which he, and he rightly said that, you know, that that's really one, it should really be like pastor slash teacher, because that's one office. 
Right. But it's also noting that the, that the other offices that are mentioned, uh, apostles and prophets, um, those are closed. He's not yeah. giving those gifts anymore. Yeah. And that's a worthy point, obviously, because um, those were kind of, those were offices entailed in revealing God's word. You know, God was inspiring their words and those are being then written down, and th- those are the words that we have in Scripture. That work is done, so there's no need to have a prophet, which would be like the Old Testament version, largely, and then apostles, which would be the New Testament, uh, which are the offices of of providing, uh, passing on revelation from God. Right. So now that those days are done, we have evangelists and we have pastor-teachers. So I, I think it was good. He didn't obviously he didn't go into that because you know it's not really part of the whole the the message that he was bringing. But it right. did kind of start me down that road, and I think we'll probably talk about that more when we actually uh, have this episode on Ephesians four, which would be the next passage that we're recording as as of the time of this recording. So I'm sure we'll talk more about that at another time. Yeah. But, um. But he said, Jesus doesn't give gifts that we don't need. So he gave the gifts of pastors, teachers, and they serve the body by teaching. And it's something that, I I appreciated this point regarding the teaching. It's something, he's speaking as a preacher, quote, it's something we ought never be satisfied with. Always try um, try to be a better teacher. Right. Yeah. And I found that so interesting and such a sign of humility because who are the, the people that that people tend to respect highly in evangelicalism are the people that think they've made it. Yeah. Yeah, the, there's people that feel that they've mastered what the Bible says. And mm-hmm. and um and I, I believe he said, I think it was Sinclair Ferguson he was talking about. He said, Sinclair Ferguson even said at one point, if I knew my Bible better, I'd be a better preacher. And he said, well, if Sinclair Ferguson can say that, I know that I can say that. If I knew my Bible better, you know, I could be a better preacher. It's it's not it's it's not something that you can ever like get it all out get it all out you can never get it all out of the bible it's it's too rich and deep you, you he even i think he said like you should be studying until you drawing your last breath because you're never going to get it all you're never going to master the bible so right. it's I, it's imperative bible. that you are all especially as a teacher someone teaching and preaching to know your bible like back to front and front to back, like as best as you know how to study that thing, study it constantly. You know, the Bible is something that that we will never master, but it's something that we should be mastered by. So we should right. never think that we've got we've fully grasped what the Bible has to say and and think that we've internalized all of it. But instead we need to humble ourselves constantly before before scripture and say, Lord, what more do you have to teach me from right. your word? And there's always going to be something more because we have 
we have sins uh, that that are being revealed to us that we should be repenting of. There's more complexity and depth to God's nature and attributes that that is there to be learned um, through study and prayer. Uh, we should we should never be so prideful to think that we have have got the Bible down. What's the next thing? Right. And but you should also stay away from the other extreme of being afraid to read the Bible because you're not going to understand it. Right. Um, a lot of people do that. That is such a sad thing to hear when people say that. Yeah, like there was a guy I work with. And uh, he had an ESV, and he had zero biblical knowledge, but he wanted a Bible. And uh, he had an ESV, and I was like, you know what? I went to Ollie's that night, which is uh, like a bargain shopping thing. uh, With so many books. Yeah, huge book selection. And they always have a bunch of CSBs. And I'm not promoting the CSB here, but it is easier to read than the ESV. Um. You can agree to that. Do you hear my deep sigh? But I I I grabbed a, it a is it is easier to read, I'll give you that. Yeah. So I grabbed a CSB for him and I gave it to him the next day at work. And he uh he texted me a few days later and he said this is this it's still hard for me, but it's a lot clearer how this one is written. And I was like, "Good, keep reading it, you know." If Yeah. So it I don't know, it's yeah, and well, and I think that's why that's you always need to encourage people for... to get into the Bible, even if. Cause, and then I, I think people too, they stray away from it because they don't want their sin revealed to them. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I've been Absolutely. there. Absolutely, I've been there. So. Yeah. No, me too. It hurts. Well, in in the language used, I think this is why it's a good thing that we have multiple translations, because some people kind of go nuts about that topic and like, oh, we should have one, you know, that's why people insist on 1611 in the King James only circles. And, yeah. But I think it's a good thing that we have multiple kinds of translations, because a new believer who who has no no prior knowledge of Christianity is probably going to need that more dynamic translation right like an NIV, NIV or a, yeah or even the CSB I mean it's it's relatively um, dynamic it, rather than literal yeah, yeah. word for word um, in a phrase by phrase kind of translation that is really helpful to people that are new in the faith or or people that want to double check against you know a more difficult to read translation and then you start building up from there and and getting into more um, more studies and then end up some people end up you know moving to like an ESV or a NASB which is more of a literal translation than the CSB is yeah but um, but it's good because you know people people learn in different ways and people have um, people need something maybe with some more casual language that uh, will help them understand the concepts and the doctrines a little better and that that the language itself, that the Bible's translated into won't be a stumbling block to them. Right. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. But but that's also that's also an important uh, an important responsibility of the pastor teacher as well, because when you're getting in the pulpit to exposit the word, you know you're not only helping you're not only helping the congregation know the word better. 
you know, because obviously we're going to be doing not only public reading of the word, but the exposition of the word is going to obviously come along with quoting the passage of scripture that you're expounding. Um, but at the, in the same way too, uh, and this kind of echoes a little bit of what Piper said, that the sermon is not only, you're not only uh, getting the passage into your people's heads, but you're also helping them to read it and study it and see what what God is saying in those words. Right. Which is really important. And that leads us into the... Um, he kind of... He laid this out as, like, the main thing, the function, and the goal. Yeah. And I, I thought that was a really... Simple and very effective way of outlining that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I enjoy, I'm a simple guy, so you know that. <laughs> In all the best ways. <laughs> but, yeah, so uh, one, on one the... One thing, before we move to the function, okay. I liked his point about, about uh, you know, saying that the pastors should always be seeking to become a better teacher. And, and he used obviously Paul as an example. Paul, who was who was maybe only months from his death, uh, was writing in his letters asking. Uh, I think he was asking Timothy. Now I'm on the spot. I'm gonna have to go back and look. Yeah, I asking believe Timothy. Yeah, it was Timothy, I believe. Okay, good. Whew. Uh, to bring him his books and parchments. Yeah. So here he is sitting in prison, not that far away from his death, still wanting to read and study. And again, to be mastered by the word. Yep. That's really encouraging. Even even to us who are not pastors. Right. Absolutely. We should always be seeking to read and study and learn more, not just for our own brain uh, and our own, potentially even our own pride, but to be a better witness, a more informed witness of what God has done and what God has said. Yeah. So... Uh, okay. On to the, the uh, what was it, the goal? Uh, the, the function. No, the, the function. Next. Yeah, the, and when you said function, my brain immediately went to like pre-calculus because I'm a math guy. <laughs> Wrong kind of function. Yes, you are. <laughs> but verse 12. conjunction, junction, what's your function? Oh, from, don't, don't uh, do schoolhouse rock with me. Now it's going to be stuck in my... I'm going to be laying in bed tonight trying to go to sleep, and I'm going to be singing that. <laughs> I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> anyway, what were you saying about the function? Uh, I was going to read verse 12 here from chapter yes, 4. Because this is the other edgy point that I really enjoyed him yeah. getting into. Liggett's an edgy guy. He, <laughs> You wouldn't think of it to look <laughs> at him, but right. he really is. But he is. Uh, so verse 12 says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So the gifts, so pastors and teachers and elders and all those, all those uh, offices that are still held today are there to equip the body of Christ. Correct? Right. Yes. And, but what does that mean exactly, e equip? Or perfect, I think some translations say. Yeah, I've got equipping in NASB here. Let me open my ESV real quick. Yeah, I don't know. It says. 
I think ESV. I think it says equip also. Yeah. yeah NIV might say things. perfect. I could get an NIV out. I have an NIV 84 oh, somewhere. Well, why waste your time? But yeah, and and I think you know. Okay, so yes, equipping equipping the saints is what we've been talking about. You know, it's obviously you're preaching the word, you're getting the word in your people's heads, <clears throat> you're showing them how to get the meanings out of the passage that you're bringing out in your sermon so that they're going to be able to go home and use those same tools to apply to other passages, right. such as, you know, understanding context. There may be uh, a bit of historical data that may be helpful in understanding a certain thing, um, or looking a, at cross-references, those kinds yeah. of things. Or that, uh, Those are all tools. Even, even if the sermon was over like a uh, doctrinal issue, something like that, they can look to that scripture that was preached over, if it was expounded correctly, uh, they can see how that doctrine fits into the scripture, and then they can use those techniques as they study mm -hmm. scripture, and they find more doctrine within the scripture. It's 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 key uh, to absolutely. It's having someone at your church that can expound the scripture on Sunday and uh, teach scripture and your Bible studies throughout the week, if you do that, or uh, Sunday evenings or whatever, uh, that can teach scripture, it's, it's absolutely key to a thriving church. If you don't have absolutely. the word, if you don't have the word preached correctly, you're going to eventually, even if your church seems to be thriving, it'll be a dying church before you know it. Right, right. And again, this is a good plug for expository preaching. Yeah. Because I would contend that you can't properly equip the saints for the life of faith, for the work of ministry, for all the things that, that a pastor is supposed to be equipping the people for if you're not preaching the word. Yeah. Yeah, if, if you're, you're doing a sermon series in the summer based on on the plots of certain high budget, you know, blockbuster movies, you're going to not only are you going to lose people or attract the wrong people, but you're not going to help them. Right. That's not going to help them. Trying to get the gospel out of like Kung Fu Panda or something, that's not that's not equipping the saints. Right. No, not it's at all. It's just not. Oh, what was it? It was on Fighting for the Faith a long time ago. There was a somebody did a sermon series on the movie Frozen when it first came out. Was it about like you have to let go of your sins or something? Yeah, it was something lame like that. Like that would be one thing if you use that as a sermon illustration, but as the whole focus of a sermon, that right. is such an abdication of pastoral responsibility yeah it's honestly you're shirking your duties if you're thinking that's passing yeah that's uh, utter passing the test it's nonsense to be honest um Grr. and when i when i hear sermons like that i just i see i see someone that doesn't take the word seriously i see someone right. that that i'm not i'm not going to uh question their faith i'm not going to do anything like that but 
I see someone that doesn't hold the word of God as high as it should be held. And uh, especially for a pastor or a teacher of the word, they that should be their sole focus and their only it, focus. It makes you sad. Yeah. It makes you sad for that pastor and for the congregation because they're missing out on so many glorious truths that they're not hearing on a regular basis because they're not getting high-quality exegesis of God's Word in the pulpit. And if it's not in the pulpit, then you can you can pretty much guarantee that, that they're also not getting the Word in the other aspects of corporate worship as well. Yeah, honestly, I would uh, just get up and walk out if that was... <laughs> yeah. If that was the way they were preaching, I wouldn't even... I'd, you're better off staying at home and reading your Bible if that's your church. So, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yes. Um, so you okay? Let's can, let's talk about the, the edgy aspect of verse twelve. Okay, and I'm an edgy I love guy. That he, that's right. We're an edgy podcast. Yeah, uh, as as anybody could tell from our uh, our episode on uh, on the Lehman uh, critical theory <laughs> uh, session oh. from Together for the Gospel. We're not afraid uh. to put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, so here, and he credits, and I loved this, that he credited Richard Barcelos, yeah, a Reformed Baptist, for helping him uh, see this. Um, this is a hotly contested verse in, in exegetical circles because, of course, Koine Greek doesn't have the, the, the punctuation that, that we're used to in English. And so... Uh, Duncan contends here that there should be another comma in verse 12 so that we clearly see three gifts. So if you're looking at your Bible right now, verse 12, I'm reading in the NASB, Duncan is saying it should read, for the equipping of the saints, comma, for the work of service, and then of course the comma that's already there in most translations, to the building up of the body of Christ. Right. So... A lot of a lot of ministries have used this verse, and it's a good use of the verse f- as the basis for their what he what he calls member ministry, basically saying that the pastors are there to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And I've I've heard it used this way. I used to go to a church where the pastor would actually say this on a regular basis. He said, "I'm here. I'm not here to do." the ministry i'm here to teach you to go out and do ministry and sometimes that's gotten used for for pastors to not engage in ministry other than uh other than preaching on sunday yeah generally if they're not interested in doing doing ministry they're not usually preaching very well either on on a whole um and so so duncan's not trying to take away from the fact that members of the local church should be doing ministry. Obviously, that's a given. I mean, that's part of the Great Commission. So this isn't to take away from that. It's to clarify the fact that equipping the saints and the work of ministry, the work of service, are distinct things. They're not rolled into one. Right. There is ministry to be done, and there's equipping of the saints to be done. Those aren't always overlapping categories. Right. And I, I have to admit, I hadn't thought that way about it, really, f- to any depth. Yeah. And so that was very thought-provoking. 
I, I was kind of curious what you would think about that. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I had never thought about it like that either, and it was it. But when you sit down and you really think about it, when you put that comma in there, it's it's like equipping the saints is a ministry, but it's not the only ministry. You know what I mean? There's right. there's right. there's so many other things that that a pastor, a shepherd of of a flock, um, a teacher, an elder. There's so many other things. A deacon, it really. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many other right. things that these offices do as ministry that are just completely overlooked or not thought about that right. uh, need to be uh, brought to the attention of everyone and brought and they and modeled too. I think yeah, by the pastor, absolutely. Yeah, so like you said, when a pastor thinks that the only thing he needs to do is preach on Sunday and leave the ministry to everyone else, eh, I don't know about that. His his main focus should be the word and preaching, yes. That's why there's other elders and there's deacons to help with those other ministries, but they all work those ministries to build up the body of Christ, the church, and to equip the saints. Definitely. Definitely. Apparently that is a is an older reading of it as well, that the way that we were thinking of it is actually a pretty contemporary concept. Yeah. At least I don't, contemporary in terms of church history. I don't like the C word. <laughs> I, know, I know you don't. Sorry. <laughs> I should find a different one. <laughs> Um, okay, so um, he used some uh, Westminster language on here. Yeah. Um, so he cites Westminster. Um, it was uh, chapter 25, right? Yes. And I looked up the corresponding chapter in the, um, in the 1689 is uh, 2610, just for... Okay reference if people want to go back and look the wording isn't exactly the same in fact it's actually pretty different but it says the same thing the gathering and perfecting um of the congregation yeah which is pretty which is good and again it's it's good this is why we have confessions and those of us who are confessional obviously we believe scripture and we hold scripture as the only valid rule rule for faith in the way that we should operate um and we have confessions that back those up so it's agreed upon language um that helps us to to clear to more clearly see the scriptures and apply them and agree agree on them right so all the nuances of the westminster are not necessarily going to show up in the london baptist but the scriptural essentials are there so that even if, even for myself, I'm not a confessional Presbyterian, but I could, uh, boy, could I agree with that section of the Westminster. Oh, yeah. Um, actually, basically the entire Westminster, except for baptism, uh, is yeah. almost completely agreed upon between Reformed Baptists and Presbyterians. Uh, yeah, that and the section where it speaks, and I forget which chapter it is, 
talking about the um, the covenant of grace being one covenant under two administrations. Obviously, is yeah, as their covenant out, theology. We're not, we're not down with that. Yeah, their covenant theology moves differently than ours. So, but that and but especially again, their focus—that's not an—it's not an essential of salvation either. No, no, so, no, it's not. Disagreeing on that is not a, a huge deal. I mean, it's a—it's a—it just depends on our our denomination's theological background. Right. That's all. But yeah, the confessions are there to keep people going willy nilly. Uh preaching about whatever they want, twisting the word to however they want. The confessions are there as a safeguard to help pastors, to help churches understand what the Scripture is saying, but more importantly, what it's not saying. So right. that big mistakes hey, like... Mayan. So that you don't... And unfortunately, when you're not confessional, I'm not saying... It, I'm not saying that this is everyone, but unfortunately, when you're not confessional, you probably are going to wind up in a church that preaches something like Todd White. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not confessional. Uh, Joel Olstein, no. not confessional. Um, there's some good people that aren't confessional, such as uh, uh, Johnny Mack. Um, That's true. Uh, John Piper. Yeah. Um, they're not confessional, but they, but they will draw from the confessions. So right. there's that. Um, they do not hold the one personally, but they understand their importance. And people that just toss them aside like, I don't need that, I just need my Bible. Well, yeah, you need your Bible, but you also need to understand... You need what? the Bible, and you need consistency. Yeah, in reading it and understanding and it, and especially if you belong to a denomination. Consistent. Yeah, if you belong to a denomination, that denomination exists because it has certain theological standings, and if you are going to have those same theological standings, you need to understand why you have them and where in Scripture it comes from, and that's what a confession points out basically right. well and like a um even the uh, the southern baptists they don't call it a confession but they have the baptist faith and message which is something if you're going to to be a pastor in the southern baptist convention you have to agree with that document so it basically functions as a confession they just don't call it one right but but all all major you know the anglicans have the um the 39 articles. Yeah, the articles of religion or yeah. Yeah. So it's it functions as the same thing. It just keeps everybody in that movement consistent. Right. Yeah, and view of whatever aspect of theology. So it's it's a helpful thing. There's a I I I should find this this picture and share it, but it shows basically it shows like it's a graph and it shows following scripture which is like um, an upward it's like arrows pointing upward. And the confessions come in as like walls on the side so yeah. that in studying the word, you're not veering to the left or right. <clears throat> it's keeping you in the bounds of orthodoxy. Yeah. Which is really helpful, I think. Yeah. And then another helpful. great confession, uh, just because it bashes the Pope a lot, is um, that was kind of mean of me to say, but is the, Luth- the Lutheran <laughs> confessions, the Book of Concord. Um, there's actually parts of it that make me laugh out loud. 
Um, I have a copy of those. Uh, obviously, I don't agree theologically with their view of the sacraments, uh, stuff like that. But it is interesting to read, even from like a historical standpoint, because there's a lot of historical background that that you can read before each each document, because the Book of Concord is made up of several documents uh, written by different Lutherans, and uh, it's it's completely it's organized completely different than any other confessional book that I've seen or confessional document. But it it gives a lot of historical context. So you can still learn about I'll learn a lot about where they're coming from from that historical context that they give you. So it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Confessions are good, guys. Yes. Especially right, the sixteen eighty nine. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I could go on and on about that. So, uh, so now we're to the goal, the final point. Yeah. Let me read verse uh, 13 here. Yes, thank you. Where it states the, the goal, which is, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. There's a lot in that awesome. verse. So much there. My gosh. <laughs> so, and he takes his 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 subpoints here directly from there. Unity, maturity, and conformity to Christ. That's the goal of the ministry of the pastors and teachers. We hear a lot of talk about unity, and people want to unify around a lot of different things, but yeah. this is a particular kind of unity. And this, it's not necessarily what, what we might call conformity, where you know, you're going to either conform or you're out. Like yeah. this is a spiritually driven unity. Yes. We have, we have one God and one father of our Lord Jesus Christ, one faith, one baptism. I'm going, I'm trying to get back there in this section, one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who's over all and through all and in all. That's the unity he's talking about here. This is unity in and around Christ. It's not unity around our pastor. It's not unity around our denomination. Yeah. Uh, it's not unity around certain distinctives of our of our worship. It's unity around Christ and in right. Him. Correct. Yeah. The uh, a lot of people think you know when it when someone says church unity or unity. In a spiritual sense, in a Christian sense, they're thinking, well, this Methodist and this Calvinist, you know, need to agree on everything. Or uh, this Presbyterian and this Catholic need to agree on everything. You know, it's, that's not what we're talking about here. It's a lot deeper than that. That's kind of a superficial unity, I kind of think, when we focus on... yes when we focus on doctrine more than you know the object of our faith we're we're focusing on Christ right now and so people don't like to say like a hardcore cage stage calvinist does not want to call the methodist down the street his brother in Christ and uh that's a problem that dude's the worst yeah i was that dude stop it 
I was that dude at first. And uh, you're the worst. <laughs> I was I was terrible, man. I'd like walk down the street and be like, I'm a Calvinist! <laughs> Why isn't everybody a Calvinist? <laughs> it's awesome! You know, and but people just aren't there yet. <laughs> but you know, as I as I learned more and more about my faith and the the doctrines of grace and I was reading the the 1689 and just studying scripture you know I realized when I look at someone that belongs to a church that's not my church or my denomination what they believe is the gospel right you know they have faith in the gospel and according to scripture that's what saves you not being a Calvinist, not being an Arminian, you know, right? A Lutheran, it's whatever. It, it's Christ, and you put your faith in Christ, in in His gospel, and that's what saves you. And that unites. That is what unites the body of Christ. Christ Himself is. Th- well, how do you say that here at the? Hold on here. He's he's speaking like literally of a body with ligaments. Right. Yeah, verse sixteen. Yeah, f- from him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body, for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. So, you know we. That's not really what we're that's not the verse that we're actually talking about, but I think that helps support what we're talking about, I believe. Definitely. For sure. Um and then of course and then he's talking about maturity, which we've already kind of touched on there where <clears throat> you know, we need to we need to grow mature so we should be learning, but we sh- we should be also growing because of that learning. Right. Because we're learning more about about God and his attributes and his ways through the study of scripture, learning more about our own sin and our proclivities toward our sin. Uh, this should be causing a deeper, mature faith as we study sound doctrine, which is, which is excellent. Um, that's, yeah. that's a great thing. And that's something that our pastor teachers should be encouraging the, the people in the church to do. Um, and then in the, in this the next one the, the knowledge of the Son of God I was very excited when he talked about this because um, this sermon actually had a very long Puritan type title so it was called equipping the yeah. saints but <clears throat> the full title of the sermon is equipping the saints colon the ministers of the church as the son's gift and the spirit's servants for the realization of Jeremiah's new covenant prophecy in the life of the congregation. So Jeremiah gives the New Covenant prophecy in uh, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, specifically um, talking about how they will know me. I'll, God will make himself known. In fact, I'm going I'm to, doggone it, I'm going to go through and I'm going to read it. Yeah, read I'm not going to do it justice. Uh, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 and 34. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. 
my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. So that's the promise of of the new covenant that we as Christians live under. Um, the same, it's the gospel proclaimed, um, the gospel that saves, um, and we we don't have to be taught by a rabbi and follow a rabbi to know to know the lord because he's made himself known to us he's in his word right. um through the power of the holy spirit indwelling us uh when we repented and believed um it's it's god is in is truly in and among his people uh in a way that that was only signaled by the tabernacle and the temple and so right. in doing the work uh, of equipping the saints and doing the work of ministry, pastor teachers, a gift from God, are uh, helping, they're contributing to the fulfillment of that prophecy that that the people will know God. Um, Absolutely, yeah. It's so because, powerful. Yeah, and uh, faith comes through hearing and... And hearing by the word of God. Hearing by the word of God, yeah. So Yeah, that's in Romans. Yes. Yeah, so we need we have a it's a necessity, uh it's essential, let's say. Let's use the words of Ligon. Uh essential. it's essential that we have good pastors and teachers. And not good as in oh, that's another thing. He mentioned, he didn't, uh, Paul, when he laid out the gifts in verse 11, he, he didn't mention, you know, they have to have these character qualities or whatnot. Uh, they need to be this kind of a person. No, he just says pastors, teachers, mm -hmm. etc. And when I, I say... do. Yeah, when I say a good pastor or a good elder, I'm not saying has to be a good guy, has to be, you know, uh, perfect in every way. Man. Yeah. I, I'm saying a godly man that upholds the word and preaches and expounds it correctly. That's a good pastor. And we need that in the church. We need that in all of our churches because that is how we learn as you and me, laymen, uh, this is how we learn the the word. Uh, yes, we study on our own, but we have to have a starting point, and that's what our pastor is. He's he's there to guide us in our studies. He's there to help jumpstart our studies. He encourages us in the word, and it it's all just it's so important. And uh, um, I think he, he really beautifully wrapped up these points in a uh, in an example. And he was talking about another church <clears throat> where there were elders who just couldn't get along, and they were divided over personality issues more than doctrinal. Oh differences yeah, he got choked like up that. pretty. He, he got, got choked yeah, up. He got he got all choked up about this, 
and, and nobody and of course that's disunity right there and if as he was saying you know if pastor teachers elder elders um are are supposed to help promote unity then they need themselves to be unified so they went he, the past the pastor called them to the office and they talked for a little bit and they prayed and he asked them to pray for each other and they prayed for each other and they got up and um they were reconciled yeah uh and they, it, it, obviously it's not always going to work that way but it worked in this instance by praying for each other and uh showing that love to each other showing maturity i would say um they were able to reconcile those differences yeah and, and, and he even he even mentioned of course they're both elders of the same church so they didn't really have issues doctrinally it was more personal issues i believe with each other wasn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. In individual yeah. personal issues between yeah. the two of them. Some sort of, I don't know. He didn't go into anything more than that, just to say. Which can be quite toxic. On, oh, definitely. Hurt uh, feelings yeah. and stuff. Yeah, those, quite those toxic. Fester. Especially, that could affect the entire church body, and it sounds like it was, uh, because the pastor took him in his office and said, you need to you know, pray about this and figure it out and let God... Uh, yeah, that could be a church split waiting to happen, right? Oh there. yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and so he, so in recounting that story, he gave this just dynamite quote, and this is really the last thing I have to say about this sermon, actually. Um, so he recounted the story, and he said, "What was happening there?" And so I, I, I wrote out this quote, and I highlighted it, and then drew emphasis stars around it, <laughs> G- <laughs> just to make sure I, I remembered it. Jesus was reigning at the right hand of God the Father Almighty by his word and spirit, and that spirit gave unity. If all you're doing is protecting against false doctrine and not working for unity in the church, you're not doing all the pastoral ministry. You've got to do both. And I thought he's exactly right. Oh, yeah. That's one of the most succinct ways I could think of putting it. Yes, we have to teach right doctrine. You know, that's a calling as a pastor to teach sound doctrine. Yes. But you have to unite around that doctrine as well. And yeah. in uniting around that truth, we need to, to be united personally as well and not have animosity between each other. Absolutely. And, try to, and trying to make it work. So I, I think he, he was able to illustrate all three of these points of uh, maturity, unity, and conformity to Christ in that example. Uh, and I thought it was very effective. And obviously, it was it was real and personal to him because he he got choked up during it. Because sometimes yeah. those little stories can be so perfect that you think they're not real. He just got this out of you know an illustration book or something, you know. Yeah. But yeah. you could tell this was a real story. Um, and then he had he had two great quotes that I wrote out. Um, We're not our own, and we don't make the gospel work. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, yeah. And they kind of go hand in hand. Uh, we we are not our own. We we are Christ's. We we belong to Christ. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We died to ourselves uh, when we were saved, and we don't make the gospel work. Uh, we can preach the gospel all day long. You know, we can sow the seeds all we want to everybody that walks by, and we should, absolutely, because Christ commanded us to. But we can't control if someone's going to believe it or not. Um, that's up to God. 
everything about salvation is up to God, and uh, we just have to have faith in His promises and keep preaching. Keep keep witnessing to people. Keep preaching constantly. Yep. Because uh, um, we, you know, a lot of people are. I've had discussions on Facebook about, you know, well, if you know, if it's only the elect that's going to heaven, you know, these are obviously not Calvinist people. Uh, if if it's only the elect that go to heaven, then. Why preach the gospel? And I, I don't As get into debates with I don't right, and I, I don't get into debates with people to prove that I'm right. Um, I'm because right. I'm not that smart, and I don't know Calvinist theology as well as I should, um, <laughs> probably. So I just simply want them to understand what I mean by that. And the elect and and so I I always kind of gently say, well, Christ commanded us in the Great Commission to preach the gospel to everyone, all nations. Uh, yep. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us who the elect are. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Uh, we don't, you know. It says, you know, no one really knows who's written in the Lamb's book of life. You know. Right. So. We are called to preach the gospel to every single person, and if God has chosen that person in his son, the gospel will, the Holy Spirit will change his heart through the gospel that we've preached. He's, he's put his pastors and ministers here for that purpose, and uh, it's, it's quite humbling for them. And it should also humble us as well, people that aren't pastors. And that's a good lesson for Calvinists to learn, too. Yeah. Because we can be pretty prideful sometimes. Oh, yeah. Um, Talking to some other Calvinists, I can totally see why people hate Calvinists so much, because they're jerks. We're jerks. Mm -hmm. Like, as a whole, like, we're very pompous and arrogant, because we think we know exactly what the bible says what if we're wrong i don't think we are because i'm a calvinist but you know <laughs> right i would if it was wrong i wouldn't believe it you know what i mean right if I wasn't but you know of it being correct then i wouldn't believe it but the thing is what's more convincing you know? right it's just you know you got to be graceful about it and and kind and loving they are brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, after all, we affirm the doctrines of grace. It doesn't right. make sense to hold to the doctrines of grace and not show any grace. Exactly. Doesn't make sense. You are now you just you just rose to the level of reformed sage. Yes. I'm at the sage stage. Goodbye, you're like Cage. A, <laughs> you're like the super saiyan of Calvinist now. <laughs> My hair literally just turned blonde and really Yeah, puffy. mine already is blonde. Yeah, you you don't have that far to go. Except mine will just turn white. Yeah. <laughs> Be like Gandalf the White. Yeah. All right, well, um anything else, Sean? Uh no, but Lee, where can they find us? Oh, 
turning tables. <laughs> gotcha. Well, they can they can find us on our website, guyswithbibles.com. You can read the blogs there. You can listen to podcast audio there. You can sign up for our newsletter, Guys With Newsletters, which comes out every week. Uh, you can also check us out on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at Guys With Bibles. Uh, we have we've added a page to Facebook, so a, a public page, and then we have our Facebook group as well. You can search; it'll be there too. They both have our podcast art, so we're easy to find. You can uh, request to join the group. Um, you can email us directly at guyswbibles at gmail dot com, and uh, we're we're uh, beefing up our social media presence, so you're going to see a lot more content from us going out there. Um, and then also, of course, subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. I am a, I, I have switched pretty much completely from Overcast, which I used to use a lot, to Pocket Casts. Um, so I'm subscribed to the podcast on Pocket Casts. Yes, I yeah. do subscribe to Guys with Bibles. Oh, I do too. <laughs> we have to get downloads somehow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where you start. You download your yeah. own podcast. Now, now so. see, uh, I must just be like basic. I don't know. I just use the podcast app that the Apple Podcast app. I use that. Yeah, it's I love okay. it. It's a pretty good. It's a pretty good podcast app. Honestly, they they all do their thing well. So it just yeah. depends. We're on Spotify too, so you can get your podcast on Spotify. It just yeah. depends. Us and Joe Rogan. And yeah, that's right, us and Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> Except we ain't getting paid. I don't want to get paid. We have two completely different audiences. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then also, you should check the show notes uh, for the link to the Bar Network website. And check out our brother and sister podcast on the network. Um, they're doing a great job. Um, Just Thinking has really been out front on the uh, the issues of um, the killing of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter uh, protests and uh, the things that are going on in our world right now. Um, as always, they're thinking critically about important important issues. They're doing a great job right now. Um, and, and there's a host of other of other great podcasts on the network. Um, I, I would name them all, but we're already going long. So just go to the website. It's in our show notes. Uh, show the bar some love. We're happy to be on the network. And um, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. All right. Well, this is Guys with Bibles, and we're out. Let it go, let it go.